Horrific Network Entertainment. What is going on, everybody? We are back for 2023 on the Horrific Podcast. I had said <clears throat> that uh, we weren't going to take an extended break or time off on the podcasting front. And, of course, that ended up happening just because family, other stuff uh, during the holiday season. It's just better to take some time off, kind of recharge, refresh Get everything lined up for 2023 on the Horrific Network podcasting front. Uh, I have exciting news. This haunt season will be unlike any other with us because I have joined the ScareFactor.com team. And the reviews for haunt season are going to be uh, dramatically more in-depth. And more opportunities probably because of that. So more on that in the coming weeks. Stay tuned. Uh, We know HauntWise, Not Scary Farm, has announced that they are opening September 14th, I believe. And uh, another good Northern California haunt, Pirates of Emerson, uh, announced over the course of our break, our time off, that they will come back September 29th and will be operating for a total of 17 days. Um, over the the break, I watched Wednesday, thought that was a fun show. Also watched Violent Night, thought that movie was very good. Uh, I also was you know wrapping up you know as of the recording of this, on Wednesday, Willow, not a horror show, but it's still a, a good one to be sure, was able to be uh, delivered by Disney Plus, and I think it does deliver quite a bit, actually. I thought it was one of the better shows Disney Plus has put out. Has put out. Uh, I really love that show, and there's definitely horror elements to that show, but it's not all horror. It's... It's a good show. Um, Also, as of the recording of this, we're going to go see Megan tomorrow. And that movie is kind of taking the world by storm right now um, with its box office and its reviews. A lot of people think that it is very good. And it has gotten such good press. It is the highest original grossing you know, box office film since Nope. I'm sorry, since Get Out. Um, that is awesome. I think that that is one of the best things we have seen. Actually, let me make sure I'm right on that. It's one of the Jordan Peele films, and I'm not exactly sure um, the uh, the 
Oh, it is Nope. Okay, so it broke uh, domestically. It, it just surpassed Nope. And uh, since Nope came out earlier this year, there's kind of been a layoff in the original stuff. And now uh, it has kind of come back. Both of those are horror films. That's interesting. Um, anyway, man. Today, um, Amanda Burse and William Ragsdale from the original Fright Night movie. As we get back into uh, some of the Sinister Creature Con coverage that we always produce. And that is the bulk of today's show. As podcasts come back into full swing. Um, Writing with Horrific Network returns this week. As does the screening room for 2023 starting with Megan starting with a a VR writing with horrific so both of those will be a good time so stay tuned for both of those but let's get into the uh, panel with Amanda and William right now ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute honor and privilege to introduce two of the main cast members of the film Fright Night, Amanda Burst and William Ragsdale! You are right. Thank you very much for joining us. I know, right? They, it's a very quiet, subdued crowd. I know, I know. Hi, everybody. I think I've met a lot of you. I know you've autographed a few people's things already because they were showing them off before you came in, and I'm very excited and a little jealous of a couple of them. So, uh, you know where to find us. I, I was just telling them if they were jealous, they need to go to your table and get their own copy so that way uh, they can live up to the wonderful glory that is the poster that was over here. Uh, so let's let's go back 1985 Fright Night um, classic cla- classic 80s horror mixed with some hammer horror mixed with just this nice little hint of rear window and uh, how how was it now looking back before we get into details of the film how was it now looking back at that and realizing Oh, I was part of one of the most iconic 80s films of all time. It's amazing. It, it still is to us that it just, and hey, life after life, after life, after life, um, that this film has that, and that it goes from generation to generation, and it just has this beloved kind of um, little aspect to it that's completely unexpected. Yeah, I think that... Um when we were making it, we sort of thought that, you know, this was the, the 80s, and so you had the uh, the requisite uh, summer horror movie that would come out every year, and that's, you know, that's what you did. And, and they were always, you know, they were usually a little bumpy uh, at times, but um, that's kind of, I think, what we thought we were making was another little horror movie that was going to entertain people for the summer. And um, so we did, And but what has happened to it since then was, I don't think anybody's, wasn't even conceivable at that point. No, and it's all you all, truly. Because without an audience and without 
that it, it, it just would have died on the vine. Yeah, I and mean, and it was about the same time as like video, really, just video stores, you know, began to appear and stuff too, which of course extended the life of it. Yeah. I signed one of those. Is that, in, is that in the room, the VHS that I yeah, saw? Oh, is there no, somebody? Had, I'm going to steal your VHS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't sign mine yet. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but you know where you're going after this panel. Wonderful. Uh, uh, that was my first introduction to Fright Night, was going through the video store and seeing that cover yeah. staring at me and going, well, I must have this in my life right away. Uh, I read that director and writer Tom Holland made you guys write bios for your character before you began filming, is that correct? Yeah, we, we had the luxury of a, about a two-week rehearsal period. And luxury it is because they have to pay us each day that we're working. And so to just do that without getting anything shot was a big deal. Um, it's like $75 a day at that point. <laughs> Well, that's what you made for the entire film, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but it, that was one clue that this was going to be an interesting pro process and that it, it had more depth. I think that's one of the, the reasons that Fright Night um, has such resonance and lives in, uh, on and on is, is that these characters are very well-rounded. The script was great storytelling and everyone was developed in a way that you don't always get in a horror movie. Because let's face it, eventually the horror, the monster, or whatever, becomes, takes over. And you just sort of never lost that in, in the storytelling. So that sort of characterization was, was developed a lot in that two-week rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, in the course of Fright Night, the movie takes place over maybe a week, maybe 10 days or something like that. And so we all knew what was going on on those 10 days, it, you know, because it was in the script. But Tom's idea was, let's, what's going on all, you know, before this, what's been going on for the years for every character. And, and Chris and, um, and Jonathan, uh, who played Billy Cole, you know, I mean, they had 400, Chris had 400 years or something of history that he worked out. His bio was really His bio long. was really long, yeah. That was one of the whole days. Um, but, um, yeah, so I mean that was a real that was a real luxury. You never do that stuff. Do either one of you recall anything that you put in that bio that you you can now look back on seeing on the film and go, yeah, this was definitely something I helped develop in this character that wasn't acknowledged by the script originally. It was just very something that you fed in from your bio. No. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was backstory as to our relationship. I'm sure that was most of mine, was how long we had been together. And I imagine that it was not that long that we had known each other and sort of uh, been friends and, and boyfriend and girlfriend for a while. Because as we know, she's torn about um, uh, going all the way, that's what I used to call it, going all the way. Um, but I, I, I think that was probably more of the character development for, for Amy was with, um, was with Charlie. Uh, because I didn't know what was going to happen to me in the course of the film. And Amy really gets, she goes on a ride. I mean, it's a really kind of wonderful character arc 
that was unexpected, I think, for a yeah. film like that. And also, I think that's part of why I got the role at age 26, playing 16, 17. Was, and I was auditioning with real 16 and 17 year olds going, I don't buy it. <laughs> but because uh, Amy had um, this really unusual and provocative experience, um, yeah, I think it, it worked for me uh, being a little bit older. Yeah, because you had to, you had to be able to bring it. I had to go know, all right? the way. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, well, you Amy never won. You weren't in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, William, I, I heard uh, a story about when you heard that you got the role of Charlie Brewster. Can yes. you uh, share that story with everyone? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I had been, I, would, I was just out of acting school here in uh, Berkeley, and I was living in San Francisco, and uh, so, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, I had uh, auditioned for this thing, and, you know, and it was in L.A., so I had to drive down each time that, you know, I'd have a call back. I did that like four or five times, and uh, you know I had a little Toyota Celica that I was hoping would make it down there every time, and uh, back again. And so that was kind of you know it just went on, and but finally I got a call on Halloween night um, yeah. in 1984 that, uh, that I was the guy they were going to go with, and it was fun. It seemed appropriate. It seemed seemed providential. Now, Amanda, you were the final person cast, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, well, we had been uh, probably because I had read. I you read so much. Uh, uh, you you have no idea of some of the things <laughs> that I'm going to be bringing These up. These are the here. softball questions. Um, yeah, this is the warm up. Uh, yeah, I had read with a number of actresses. Uh, the the woman who cast the, the the film was a woman named Jackie Birch, and she was the woman who had created basically the Brat Pack and and those all those kids from the '80s movies, Demi Moore and. Uh, Jill Scholl and, and people who we all know uh, were her finds, her discoveries and stuff. And she had, and I had read with a few of those kids, um, but I guess they were still looking for something more. And so that's when we found Miss Burks. News to me. <laughs> I just, you know. Do you remember anybody in the room that you read no, with? No, I actually or? don't. So that might be part of it. It's because they were on down the process, on down the road maybe, a little bit. Um, I don't remember having a lot of auditions. Um, I remember right. one. Did you test, or did you? I mean, did you actually do a, a test, or did were you just in the room with Tom? Mm -hmm. I think I was in the room. Look, it was a long time ago, y'all. Yes. Um, no, I. I, I recall being in an outer waiting room, and that is the lineup of younger actors. Um, and then I don't recall being on in front of the camera. Okay. Um, so I don't think so. Okay. I so can't remember that. We'll go back, Amanda, to, to you saying about going all the way. So we all we all know the dance scene. Uh, is is it true? And what was your approach to if it was true that you and Chris uh, choreographed that together? True. Um, yeah, Tom was okay. For as specific as Tom was, 
uh, creating almost every single frame of the film. And Chris Saran, and you may have seen this on YouTube panels, that Tom literally showed him the storyboard for every shot of the film because it was that fully conceived in Tom's mind. And um, he was obviously trying to sell Chris on the film. Um, when we got to the dance, there that was somewhat fluid. And um, it had to do with energy and relationship and uh, working with Chris was incredibly lovely. He was such a gentleman. I mean, he was as suave, he is still, uh, a, a human being. Sorry. Oh, I thought oh, I was well, supposed that, to dance. Yeah, I thought that was in the show. But I mean, he really is that. He is a gentleman and a, a lovely human being, and he was so respectful, and so it provided a comfort for a new, younger actor uh, without the experience that he had. And so we just played, and um, it was fun. What's really great about that scene, too, is the, uh, uh, there's an intimacy between you guys, and, it's, and it was literally a huge hall with all these other people around, but in that scene, it's just like the two of you guys. I, I, I couldn't agree more, William. One of the things that I love about your portrayal of Amy is is the fact that she is not every other horror girlfriend where she is just set up to be a victim of that. It. She stands up to her boyfriend. She says no when she means no. Talk about consent is king. Amy's the originator for the, for the 80s of that. So when we get to that scene and there is so much intimacy like you say William and it's it's that uh, that approach as an actor uh, how much of that was was the hypnotize of Chris's character how much of that do you feel was you taking power of the situation which way do you well think? it happened in the dance even because there's a moment in the dance uh, and I discussed this recently in a documentary about um, how people are on their knees in front of Jerry in various scenes, and yeah. there's a there's a homoerotic aspect to the film that um, it, it is is sort of talked about now. And indeed, he drops me. There's a moment where even Amy drops down, and but then she takes the power back, and um, and it is a lovely aspect to that character that she is strong, and again, it speaks to the the depth the well-roundedness of each of the characters' developments in the script, not only Amy's. And out of that humanity, I think, comes the humor, because it wasn't written as a funny movie. Tom, this is an important and significant genre that Tom Holland wanted to honor, and he did, because there was a lot of parody of vampire movies. They'd kind of been made fun of in recent times before Fright Night came out. And, and so the seriousness of, of the folklore was important to him, but yet because the characters were so well-rounded and human, out of that comes humor and comes different levels. And Amy got to be a lot of different things, a little bit of bossy pants there. And, uh, and I think it, she needed that strength. And if, you know, we don't right. even think about what was going on in the 80s as we do now all the implications of an older man and a younger woman and all of that, but it didn't feel coerced. 
And in terms of my portrayal as an actor, I think I was just compelled. It was just drawn to him. I didn't get in my brain about it. It was really more, I guess the word is energy. It was much more of an energetic, intimate connection with that character that she's not stepping outside of and thinking about what's going on. Now, uh, William, with, with Charlie Brewster, you, you get to play a decade before Scream the idea of a horror fan now being placed in a horror situation. Uh, were you a horror fan before jumping into that? And then what aspects of being a fan did you bring into Charlie on having to deal with this unreal situation? Uh, I was a horror fan and still am. Uh, I, I was, you know, I was a fan of the old, you know, Universal stuff as well as Hammer stuff, and read creepy and eerie magazine and famous monsters and all that stuff. Um, uh, so I, I knew it, but I mean, my my approach to it to Charlie was just, you know, what I would do, you know, which I guess is the you know, sort of classic form, but. Um, just a guy who's, you know, it's as new to him as to anybody else. And what do you actually do? You know, I mean, you know what other people, other people do in those situations because you've seen the movie. But if it was a real thing that just dropped in your lap, how would you, you know, you go to an expert, which is what Charlie does, you know, and then you, you know, you try and, you know, really that thing. Speaking of the experts, uh, would you mind sharing some stories about working with Roddy Bickdell? Start? Well, you have more to tell. I mean, again, this is a significant presence in Hollywood. He was iconic in 1984. Um, and we all knew some of his work, if not all of it. He was humble. He was gentle. He was very close to that character. Except he wasn't shystery at all. Because there's a little, you know, Peter Vincent's a little desperate. And, takes my $500 yeah. and um, <laughs> no but but Robbie was as gracious and kind and fun and uh, really truly just there to play like the rest of us but he has such gentility he had such gentility which I think was so lovely to infuse into Peter Vincent because he just had such heart yeah yeah and he was uh, talk about genuine fandom, he was a genuine fan of movies and of those old actors and everybody, so the, the, the people who, you know, Peter Vincent might have been at one time. And um, so it was, you know, it was a real homage for him too, I think. And he, but he was, he was a great, generous, funny, uh, accessible guy who didn't, you know, I mean, there was no attitude at all. And, you know, and he delighted, he knew all the stories, he knew where all the bodies were buried. He had known everybody, and he he loved telling the stories, you know. And uh, uh, but so not it, in a gossipy way. I mean, he was just from, way, yeah. from yeah, just yeah. from a point of view of yeah, he's been there since 1938, 39, yeah. Yeah. and when he was eight or nine. Yeah. And it was all. Yeah. And, and and but he fascinating. But he was as much a fan as he was a star, and maybe even more so at the point that he would, uh, you know, he he could tell you. He knew everything about the stages we were shooting on. He knew, you know, who had shot there, what they had shot there, and uh, and so it was a great sort of working education to, 
to be around. Oh, wonderful. Uh, in the process, because it's 1984 filming, we thankfully have all practical makeup effects. How was, uh, I know your practical makeup, uh, William, would be more of the cuts and, and bleeding. However, uh, Amanda, you had a little bit more uh, makeup effects to deal with. Uh, what was that process like for you? Um, back in that day, and Richard Edlin was the one of the most prominent, significant uh, makeup artists, designers at the time, special effects, and he designed for this film. Um, the human beings in the movies were the guinea pigs because they were always trying to outdo each other. And really, truly, it was sometimes at the expense of what the actors were gonna go through to do it. Um, I was fortunate that my, the last transition with the big mouth, the shark mouth, they call it, uh, was only, in, I think, maybe twice in about six hours in the chair. Um, that moment, I think I've shared this with some of you who stopped by the table, was, was uh, a last minute uh, idea of Tom's. He just felt like in that scene, when Amy comes down and she's trying to seduce Billy, I mean Charlie, that um, it just needed something, and well boy, he got it. And so that was a turnaround uh, with the special effects guys, of makeup artists, in about 24 hours. Um, but didn't, it, didn't, they prom didn't he promise the makeup guys that it was only going to be like a few oh, it's frames? Only a few so frames. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, and it, if you you understand that I couldn't close my mouth, and that so there wasn't I couldn't make any expression. The expression was the face which ended up on the poster, which we had no idea that was gonna happen. And when Billy and I went and saw the, 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 the big billboard on yeah. Sunset Strip, which they used to, they still do. And it was like, what? <laughs> um, but that moment, you can't stay on it too long because then it becomes funny. It becomes a little, <laughs> and you don't want that. You just want that. And the beauty of it also is the way Tom shot it in that you all see it before he does. So you know what's coming, and then he sees it. It's so unexpected, you know, that's what works about it. Because, and, I, and I imagine when he was thinking the night or two before we shot the thing, he, he could see Amy lifting her head, and there needed to be a reveal of something. That's probably what put it in his head, so that's how it came about. I had some, I didn't wear contact lenses, and um, I've told this story before, there were three different sets of lenses that were painted as Amy's transition progressed. I don't know how I came up with red hair, neither does Tom. Uh, but and, uh, but the third pair, and again, you don't want to sweep the wheel. There's so many elements that have to happen at the same time for the shot to occur. And they put the lenses in at the last minute, and it was just really difficult. And I finally just said, hang, hang on, hang on. And they took them out, and they forgot the sand. Them. And so they were literally scratching my eyes. This is what I mean by guinea pigs. But um, it's like, oh, oops. Um, but you know, you, you you want to 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 go with it. You want to suspend your own disbelief. I mean, we were acting off of our imaginations a lot of the time. That's what happens. You understand this in in all kinds of special effects films and all kinds of CGI. You know now. 
that it's all in your imagination what you're working with. And so you know, I was thrilled. I was thrilled with the transition that that character made. And it, it sort of evolved as the shooting went on. I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I think a lot of it was sort of in the moment in terms of, okay, she's, she's in this gown and her hair is still dark. She's starting to change. It's her first set of lenses. Let's water her down. Let's put her in a fever. You know, this kind of thing. So the creative flow was ongoing and, you know, just truly a fun ride. I will say that it, in comparison to, to how movies are made today, because it's all so much green screen, green screen and matting and all that stuff, you know, we were a practical movie. So I could see her in her trans forms state and I see the bat that the bat that bit me was you know a real thing so so we did have that advantage of being able to you know and when Chris is in his full uh, morph too we were able to see that so that that is easier to have something physically there yeah you know you know what the audience is going to be seeing so you can you can react accordingly now Amanda you said at your table to me that you're a bit of a smart ass so uh, that, that you warned me, actually. So my my question for you, when it comes to practical makeup and specifically practical makeup for Friday night, do you still have your breastplate and do you still let fans touch your boobs? I have. That was the only thing I kept in a C's candy box for years. I think it was twenty when we finally did our first convention was the 20th anniversary of Fright Night, so it was 2005. You know, I should have kept the sexy little bangs, yeah. all that, and no, I don't know why, but I had the boobs, and, uh, <laughs> and they had resin nipples, you know, so they're hard. And, um, and really, truly, I, I, it was a reach and a dust off, and I thought, I don't want these anymore. <laughs> What are these old? And I ended up auctioning them off, I think, or something, and just at the table, like people bidding on them, and and um, and yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they sold, and they yeah they did. They, sell. Oh yeah. yeah they did. William, did you keep anything from I this? Didn't, I didn't have anything to keep. I mean, I had, I would have had a stick of wood to keep. Uh, <laughs> you know, which now would be great. I could say, yeah, this is the actual stick of wood, but back then it was. Yeah. You kept clothes. One by two. Yeah, I kept my. I, had, I kept my jacket. I think, and wart threadbare, but that's all, that's all I had. I would have liked the Mustang. That would have been nice. That was, uh, that was actually Tom's car, so I think he didn't offer, didn't ask. My first vehicle was your scooter, actually, Amy. When I see it go across, I had that exact same scooter was my first vehicle. Well, and they asked me, can you, you know, can you comfortable driving? Sure. Yeah, I got it. Wiped out, right? <laughs> Just laid it down. It was like, I'm good, I'm good. Steven had to be on the back, right? Yeah. Now, uh, I know we don't like talking about remakes when we talk about classic films, but have either one of you seen the amazing remake from Bollywood, Bungalow Number 666? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't There is a full Bollywood version of Fright Night. If you have not seen it, it is on YouTube, available for anybody to watch. Uh, you're going to need a translator, but uh, there are the full Bollywood dance numbers with your two characters being played wow. by other people. You should. When was that made? Uh, I want to say it was 1988. Was that, that one? long ago? Yes. 
I did audition for it. <laughs> Some of my movies were there. Uh, but there, is a, there also is a great version of, uh, which I'm sure you've seen, um, the musical version of Fright Night, a music video of it, that uh, these guys, I, these guys who did music for TV and movies, um, made, used footage from the, uh, from the uh, original film and they set it to music and, they, and everybody has a song. Um, Sarandon has a song called Amy or something like that. Have you ever seen this? No. It's fine. Really, really good. Check this out. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember their names, but I'll look it up. It's wow. And there's also a, a play. And there's a play. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, beyond Fright Night, uh, Amanda, we, we all know you from Married with Children. And, and William, uh, for those people who actually also watched other quality television in the 90s, would know you from Herman's Head. Yeah. Both quite as much applause, but that's fine. Both of you should. When that ever hits streaming in life, you should be watching that. It was way uh, ahead of its time. It really was. Pixar stole the entire plot for Inside Out, but that's that's just yeah, my own point. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I'll point them for you. That's fine. Uh, now, both of them were Fox properties at the time. Going on at the same time, did either one of you, did you run into each other at, in the studio? We were on, it's actually the, the lot that um, Fox was a distributor. So, For Married with Children was produced by Columbia Pictures Television. It was actually originally produced by a company called Embassy, which was owned by Norman Lear, who had a lot of shows. Uh, in half hour, including um, All in the Family. So Married with Children was sort of the last of that uh, product, In Norman does not claim it, because he had sold the sh this company <laughs> by that time, and he just didn't want it, uh, claim it. But um, it has that kind of All in the Family flat, kind of ugly, in-your-face look, Married with Children. But then Columbia um, acquired Embassy, and Sony acquired Columbia. But we were on the same lot. Same lot. Uh, Sunset Gower and ran into each other. She was on a big you? hit show and I was on this little <laughs> fledgling, struggling thing. But, yeah. She never lorded it over me. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> now, uh, Amanda, you, uh, up until more recently, you were more known for uh, behind the camera as far as directorial work. Uh, with uh, Mad TV, uh, the Jamie Foxx show. Lots uh, of sitcoms, yeah. Uh, so I got my, my second career on Mary the Children. I negotiated to direct that show in the fifth season, I think. And so over the course of the next six years, uh, directed multiple episodes, knowing that Mary the Children would end someday. And so on our hiatus weeks, because they go to prepare scripts, sort of shoot three weeks and you're down a week and shoot three and down. I would go and direct other shows and um, and I really just loved being behind the camera. Like the, I grew up doing theater. It's it's it, it, I've always loved crew. I've always loved the whole puzzle, not just plugging in as one piece. And so that was the momentum of my career. So I just stayed behind the camera for about 30 years until last year. Now, uh, recently, 
as in just at the end of last year, I believe, you won the Out on Film Trailblazer Award, correct? Oh, yeah, that that came um, out of the one of the Atlanta Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, I did that little thing politically. <laughs> that little thing when politically. When I was on Married with Children, yeah. Uh, I was the first person on a national television show to come out of the closet, and that was in 1993. Three and, years before Ellen did? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, but uh, the show wasn't called Amanda, so I wasn't on the cover of Tony. But Billy made out with her on the Ellen show, so there's like a, there's like a six degrees of separation kind of a thing there. But yeah, no, I, I found myself living back in Southern California in the last years and thought, okay, what now? And I thought, well, maybe I'll try that acting thing again. Worked once, might work again. It might. And so I ended up doing a couple of small roles in some features. I think I've spoken about this with some of you. John Heater, who played Napoleon Dynamite. Um, I play his mom. See, when you go away for 15 or 20 years, when you come back, you play the moms. And so I play his mom, and I. it's called Tapawingo. It doesn't have a distribution date yet, but here's hoping. And it has that kind of vibe like Napoleon Dynamite, like a, a sleeper kind of thing, and he's adorable. And then in the fall, I shot a film called Bros for Universal. The trailers are come, starting to come out, and it's it's an historic film in some ways already, in that it's the first major studio, Universal, to produce um, a romantic comedy with two men. So it's Billy Eichner and it's Judd Apatow's company, and it's the director uh, Nick Stoller who did Forgetting Sarah Marshall and a lot of other Judd Apatow kind of boy movies. He and Billy co-wrote it, and it is, I have seen it, and it is laugh out loud funny. And it's bold, and it will have, uh, there will be a lot of reaction uh, to it. Um, because as Judd's films do, they kind of, they're a little edgy. They pushes the envelope a little bit. Well, this is no exception. Um, but to me, being in comedy for so many years, the most important thing was that it was honest and funny. And it really is sort of an, um, a really, truly romantic comedy in the Nora Ephron, Rob Reiner uh, sort of uh, ilk, except in, in terms of that classic structure, but you've never seen it before. The trailers look hilarious. I cannot wait for them. This is September is when September 30th is the, the theatrical release, yeah. Now, uh, William, you also told me about a project that you're working on that horror fans, or that you just wrapped, that horror fans have been kind of itching about. Uh, it's a little film called Renfield. Yes, Renfield. Um, uh, I have a small role in it. Starring? So, uh, uh, Nicholas Cage and uh, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt as yes. well, wonderful. Uh, and that's coming out, I believe, later this year as it's well. Uh, well. I think they were shooting for later this year, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be next year, next okay. year or not, but yeah. Looking through uh, your IMDb, uh, William, we, we see just the steady flow of uh, episodes throughout some of the biggest hits, uh, Blacklist, Blackish, uh, Nosferatu, uh, Elementary, uh, uh, the very underrated Brain Dead, which I think was a genius sitcom, uh, Justified Entourage. In a lot of them, you you get the title Doctor. Is <laughs> ha, I don't have you noticed how many times you played the Doctor? Uh, I haven't really. I haven't 
but yeah, basically it, I am. it swings by quite a lot. What do you feel there is about you that goes, I'm a medical professional? Uh, <laughs> I exude fraud. <laughs> um, I don't know. I haven't made that connection. But it's interesting. Well, I played doctor. You did? Until you stopped him. Uh, Maybe not at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was Ellen's last boyfriend, yes. and and, uh, and so I have uh, I, I have a track record of uh, <laughs> famously failed relationships. Oh God, I love that. Uh, let me let me open it up to our amazing group here to see right here in the front row. Um, I had a question about uh, Stephen Jeffries, and I know that you work with him in paternity vacation. Brings that interesting energy to Friday night. Um, what, what was it like working with him? Is he uh, kind of a quirky guy like you here? Yes, <laughs> Stephen's quirky, incredibly inventive, incredibly inventive. Yeah, he's a he's sort of a below the radar loose cannon, you know, and and you are not always sure what you're what's going to come out. But he was great in that. He works very, what we call, moment to moment. And that right. speaks to that, that in any given moment, okay, there is a script, and there are, so we kind of know where it's supposed to happen, but it, again, it's behavior and energy, and he's got a very unique quality. Um, which is great, I mean, which is great for an actor to be, you know, it's like a quarterback in football, you gotta forget what you just did, forget what just happened, and you know, Here's how I would do it a second time, you know. It's fun to work with, absolutely. It was great, yeah. Got standing in the back back there. I'll get to you. You're next, sir. Yep. Standing in the back first. Uh, quick question here, but uh, first I just gotta say, you're so cool, Rooster. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. As true today as it was. It is so true. Yeah. And uh, my question is, when did you guys know this movie was gonna be special? When did you know that like it had you know the staying power that it Well, um, 20 years later, yeah, that, 20, exactly. that first horror convention. My, my manager called and said, uh, you've got an invitation to go to a Fright Night reunion. And I was like, what? What, what do you mean a Fright Night reunion? And uh, he said, yeah, they, they're, they're having a screening and uh, the whole cast is getting together and all that stuff. And I had no idea. And I think the first one I did, you guys had done one before, but uh, it was about 20 years later, uh, and I had no idea that it had that life. I mean, I you know would run into people who were like, oh yeah, I remember that, but I had no idea it would be have this life, this kind of. Apple. We we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun making that movie, and yes, part of it was it was a big deal for us to be in a major motion picture and it was exciting, but there was some kind of really special energy to the making of that movie. And you hope that it comes across. And I think I was really, as horrified as it is to see yourself on a large screen you know, for the first time or whatever, it was also, I was delighted in, with the, the product itself. Um, and I really felt like uh, it was special it was not run of the mill. So I guess, um, and then, then that's it. That's 1985 and bye-bye. Um, 
people who would say that they were fans. I think um, it might have played a, a part in my getting um, the role of Marcy Darcy be, uh, because one of the co-creators of uh, Married with Children was a huge Fright Night fan. So I don't think it hurt me because uh, it wasn't that long after that. Fright Night came out in um, 85 and I was cast made the pilot of Mary with Children in 1986. Oh, so it wasn't that, you know. And that was the first time in Mary with Children that I was able to play my age. So I was actually 28. And one of the, probably the youngest uh, in the callback process for that role. So, um, you know, I think I think it mattered. And did you get that in auditions and things like that? They were like, they liked you in the film or were they? No. No. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, <we> question. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I was just going to say the opposite because I, when I when I did Fright when I did Fright Night, um, I would meet casting people and they would say, "I don't I don't see movies like that. I don't like yeah. those kind of movies. They, don't, they scare me. I don't want to be." So I'm like, "Well, you should. I mean, it's a pretty good movie, but uh, but it didn't do anything for me." But we really had no idea that it would have this longevity. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Because it's hard to see, it's hard to see the longevity immediately, right? I mean, it's for, for all the movies that we love. It's, it's, there's something that happens. It's like a, a wine or, you know, cheese or something. It just takes the time for it to be what it's going to be. And the 80s itself is, has become this sort of bracketed, especially in cinema and in, in entertainment, um, it's very defined. It has its. It has a, a feel to it. Yes. 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 Yeah. I know we had that one question that I told the gentleman to sit down. There we are. Stand up. With the 80s being such a nostalgia fuel for Hollywood now, and with legacy films where they bring back characters decades later to play themselves in the future, would either one of you say no to a Fright Night 3? No. No. <laughs> Getting the merch, and that brings them.
So there you go, man. There was Amanda and William Ragsdale. Amanda Burst and William Ragsdale. Um, great time getting to talk to both of them. I know Jay had a great time interviewing them. Uh, this was, like I said, the return for Horrific Podcast in 2023. I think that... Uh, that is that is that is that next week uh author bonnie belvins will be in talking about her film i met her on a cruise over the holiday break and she has a really cool book that we will be discussing that is out on amazon um and goodreads i believe called seal team six it looks like it is a fun like future alien uh starship troopers type of a novel so i'm excited to talk to her about that and we will be back with with that and uh, more content with the horrific network as we go i think also another thing that i want to mention before we sign off Right now we're doing the uh, shortlist voting for the Golden Skulls. That is going to pick up. We have a few more names to announce for this year's class of the Horrific Hall of Fame as well. So stay tuned to all that and we will be back, man. Anyway, thank you for listening. Remember, stay spooky, everybody. May the stars light your way throughout all your journeys. May the stars light your way throughout all your days. May you see all the world, systems, stars, and planets. May the stars light your way and see you safely home. Did you like that?